So I, I want to go back to uh, something you had mentioned at, at the, the beginning of that, where you said everybody that saw you out didn't see anything wrong, right? There's you're smiling, you're laughing, you're going places. Obviously to a point of that, that's a facade, right? You're like, you're putting on the face to be able to go out in public, but at the same time, um, what at your core allowed you to maintain positivity through such a, uh, a deep and vulnerable struggle at, at that point in your career? That's a really good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. So one thing I, I don't like about Charlotte and maybe just networking in general is I feel like everybody comes into these meetings and they're like, oh, everything's great. Everything's right. fine. Yep. I just closed this. We just got this. We have this, this new location. Nobody talks about the struggle. Mm. Um, a, a really good friend of mine always says, I like the climax. I like everything before they get to that ultimate point, right? But it's the struggle that people really care about. It's how did you overcome? Um, I remember being in a business meeting one day and it was that same type of meeting. It was a, another mastermind group and everybody was talking about how great business was and mine sucked. I was just mad. <laughs> and there was somebody who sat across from me and his, his business seemed as though it was equally as depressing as mine at the time. <laughs> and, but his face and his demeanor um, in that moment, I thought that he, he could have been challenged with some other issues and I could, I could see him doing some things that could be detrimental to his health. And so in this meeting, it became my turn. And they said, well, what's going on with you? How is business? And in that moment, my spirit just said, just, just be honest and just tell the truth. And I said, okay. And I said, well, to be honest, guys, um, business is slow. We haven't had sales in three months. I'm scared. Um, our cash flow is depleting. And I just let them know line by line what's really going on. And I said, I don't know if you have an answer for me, but I, I just need you to know that everything's not okay. And it completely changed the tone of the room. Um, everybody who had previously shared their story began to share, oh, well, I also lost my largest client this week. And I'm like, why didn't you leave with that? <laughs> Well, it's because you, by leading by example, gave everybody else permission to be vulnerable. And until somebody stepped up and did that, everyone's going to put on the show that they want everyone else to view them through. Exactly. Exactly. And that gentleman that was sitting across from me that, that looked like he was really struggling, his entire tone changed. And he became vulnerable, but he also began to listen. And I think it was so important in that moment because, you know, if everybody around you is peachy clean and everything's fine and you're the only person that's bubbling up and you see a problem, I don't think that's helpful either. And so um, to answer your question, I don't know if, if I, um, I, I think I, I try to be me yeah. and I don't try to force things that are not there. If I'm not happy, you will know about it. <laughs> If I'm happy, you will know about it. Ask my husband. <laughs> I was just going to ask him. Hey, Shedrick, are you listening to this? <laughs> um, I try to keep it real, you know, because it's, it's, it's life and things never go as planned. 
And I think in business, people want to see your authenticity. And I'll tell you, um, in, in, that, in that meeting, which I never expected this, it was a group of, so I was the only, once again, those, those three things, the only woman, the only black person, the only person under the age of 50. It was meeting probably of about 20, 25 people. And everybody in that room began praying and touching and agreeing and um, sending up positivity for everybody else's business. And so for me, it was amazing to see that in a business setting, because I don't typically see that. And, right. and I wasn't expecting that as an outcome. But whatever we discussed, it triggered something in those members. And they took a different approach in that meeting. And I will never forget that. On giving feedback, um, even the toughest people have a tough time at times receiving feedback especially if it's not, you know, flattering and not like, oh, you are the best, right? But what have you found that makes someone being able to receive feedback better than if, um, than just like, hey, here's some feedback? You know, I think from a, let me start by giving feedback and then I'm going to talk about receiving feedback from giving feedback. One of the things that's helped me is to realize that um, very quick, very honest feedback. Sometimes I think you don't give it quick. You know, I, I tended to not give feedback quick enough early, early probably through most of my career, but um, giving feedback is actually cheating the person that you should be giving the feedback to. It's, it's not, you know, if I really care about them and I want to help them, I'll give them the feedback, you know, mm -hmm. now I'll give it in a very constructive way. And I, you know, but you know, if, if Gary, if you, if you and I are working together and I see ways that you can improve and I don't tell you just because I don't want to have the conflict, which we see often, you know, I, I'm actually cheating you. I, it's the opposite of what mentally we think, you know, but so one was to, to come to that realization, you know, and, and again, I think having the, the ownership of the company, you realize you have to do that and you have to do it much quicker than, you know, I realize the importance of doing quick. I think in receiving feedback to me, it's always been, um, I, I, I think that listening and, um, and, and I've always looked at it as when I've gotten feedback, how do I, how do I change and how do I get better, you know? And so, to, and, and so to me, one of the things I think, and, and we work with young people as well, is I, I, I say, go ask for feedback. You know, if you're not getting feedback, ask for it. Because the way you get better is by getting feedback. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, you think of when you're in a sport, when you're, you know, when I was younger and played sports, you know, in high school, you know, you got constant feedback. You didn't have to ask for feedback. But if you're not getting feedback, you're not going to get better. You know, it's the same in our jobs, in our career. If you're not getting feedback, so you know, so often we take the feedback and we become defensive and, we, you know, we think it, you know, but the, you know, the, the thing is you have to get over that quick and say, okay, what am I going to actually do about this? So to me, it's yeah. been, how do you make yourself, it's that constantly, how do you make yourself better? I took my little bag of things to 11 boutiques around Charlotte thinking I'm going to show people things and they're going to say, no, thank you. And then I'm going to pack this up and I'm going to go 
find a way back to my corporate life or find a way back to something else. But that's not what happened at all. 10 out of the 11 confirmed that I was onto something and it was a different look and it was what the industry maybe was craving, but it hadn't been done. And so I found myself with the potential for a company and that company gave me the potential to feed into a, a memorial fund that they could start doing the work that I wanted to do. And that was 15 years ago. And, um, you know, that was the start. And then it just, the whole path has been so many bumps and so many falling down and get back up. But I am really proud to say that we had never, ever sold a product since day one without feeding money through the Matt Tuna Make a Difference Fund. It always goes to 501c3s on the other side. The, the give back has changed a little, but the mission of giving back has never, ever faltered. And that's something we're really proud of. So you- I love that um, story. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is like the fact that you have this brand strategy background um, and where you were basically like, I need to go in a completely different direction yet what was part of your DNA and your, your background and kind of your passion in this whole branding and strategy and differentiation. Cause that's really what branding I think is, is differentiating. Mm -hmm. for, for sure. You were naturally doing that and it just found a new expression. So talk to, talk to us a little bit more about, tapping that and looking back is always easier to see the, the pattern, but your, your, your training as well as like what was, what drove you into brand strategy and how that's expressed itself and continues to express itself in your company. Yeah, you are a hundred percent correct that the brand strategy is all about two things, differentiation and focus. And you just can't be all things to all people or you end up in this sea of sameness and you can't compete in a sea of sameness. And so I knew from the get-go that was not going to be our story. We weren't going to get lost. Um, you were either going to love or hate our look, but the people that loved it and the people that loved our mission were going to become loyalists. And we didn't need everybody to buy the brand. We needed people that really relate to it and feel connected to it. And so from the very beginning, we knew our brand position, we knew what we stood for, we knew the look we were going for, and we built authenticity into every bit of it. Um, we also built like touch points into all of it. So we invited our customers to be part of the good that we were doing. Um, I'll say we've gotten a lot better at that over the years. I think because of the way that Bella Tuna was launched and the fact that it's my personal story, it was really hard for me at the beginning uh, to really share why we were doing so much good because it was such a point of pain. But I realized it, it's almost selfish. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's like we were only able to do this amazing work because our customers were buying our products. And so it became truly the, the core of the brand to let everyone know we're doing this together. And it's thanks to you. And we, we are a brand that feels like a family to people because we know that without each other, we can't be achieving greatness. 
And um, it's really that focus, that differentiation, and that shared value is really what makes Bellatuna so strong. Talk a little bit about what you two were doing before Compliance Line. Yeah, so Gio and I have always had a passion for business. We've always wanted, we've always had a dream. I mean, how young were we, man? I mean, we were in high school. We always dreamed of um, running a company together and growing something together and kind of making a dent on the world. So we got our first experience probably um, from our dad, you know, refusing to take our fundraiser, our fundraising stuff from school to his office for us and selling it for us. He would make us go door to door and stand, he'd stand at the curb and we'd have to go and do our pitch and stuff like that. So we've been um, kind of in business from one degree to another. You know, Gio had a, uh, an encased meat, how would you call it? I mean, it was a very well- It was a, it was a, it was a meat dispensary. Some people call it a hot dog stand. <laughs> I mean, you, you had a hot dog stand in um, <laughs> high school. I was selling blow pops on the bus in junior high. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've always been kind of, kind of enterprising. And, you know, we're first generation Americans. Our dad came over from Cuba after Castro took over and took our grandfather, who was a massive entrepreneur down there, took all their stuff that he built, you know, from nothing. Kind of that rags to riches to rags story as they landed in our country with nothing. Um, and so we come from these kind of humble beginnings and this, these entrepreneurial roots. And it was just always instilled in us that this is a country that, you know, while it's not perfect, obviously, um, it's a place where there's a thing called upward mobility and you can cut your own piece of the pie and you can actually bake the pie if you want to make it a little bit bigger. So, um, we grew up in our parents' business, you know, we were first scrubbing toilets. Our family motto is see what you can do to help. So, you know, we were scrubbing toilets and taking out the trash and doing mailers and stuffing envelopes. And then as we got a little bit older, we were, um, you know, they put us on the phones to set appointments for our sales reps. And uh, we just kind of worked our way up, you know, we, we got involved anywhere we could. And then in high school this one year, we, uh, we were learning about strategy and, you know, all this stuff. And we thought we were real big shots. And our parents were always, you know, see what you can do to help. What are you learning in school that can help grow the business, that can help make this thing better? And we spent a summer and we, you know, we, we were able to do some things that we, you know, we thought we were like business consultants, you know, <laughs> we thought we were like uh, McKenzie guys or something. And uh, that was really the, the genesis of it, that we were like, man, it would be so cool to one day run a company together. So we set out on this, on this journey um, through a bunch of different experiences in financial services, uh, through, through private equity to get to a point where we were looking for a business that we could take over, you know, a business that was not a startup something that was you know maybe at this inflection point or kind of at a, a glass ceiling that it couldn't break through you know a profitable business that we saw some opportunity to help take to the next level and we spent about two years doing that and uh so directly before compliance line that's that's what what we were doing calling up business owners you know back to our stuffing envelopes days sending out mailers and trying to find the right business for us to get involved with and uh you know join and help grow yeah, and I would just add a little bit of color to that. You know, Nick talked about a lot of the, you know, the things that we were doing and uh, some of the things that influenced uh, kind of the path we took on our career. Um, I would just add some color that I think that Nick and I have always, uh, for a number of reasons, been kind of students of company culture. I think before we even knew it was a thing. Yeah. Uh, part of it's because when we were young, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot and um, our parents were pursuing opportunities that led to a lot of changes in our life. We moved around a lot as they were looking for a new job and stuff like that. So the experiences that my parents had at work when we were really young impacted our life that like made us aware of it. 
they had some mentors and they had some people who gave them some bad business deals and were dishonest with them. So, you know, we kind of saw those impacts. And then when we were in high school, they started their own business and we saw them run that business with their heart for servanthood and seeing, you know, like they, they were just living out a balanced scorecard before it was, you know, written about in Forbes of we got to take care of our shareholders. Sure. But we have to take care of our employees and we have to take care of our customers and we have to take care of the community that we're a part of. So we saw those things um, through our parents that made us realize that, you know, the way that people treat people at work, the type of boss you are or the type of partner or the type of vendor you are makes a big difference in people's lives. Um, and that has always been something that we've cared about and we've thought, hey, you know what, let's learn how some big companies do it. Nick and I have been part of, you know, boardroom decisions and advisory services and investments for a bunch of big companies doing a bunch of different things. And we've seen that experience and, you know, we try to learn from the people that were around. Um, and we've always, we, we always, you know, said to each other that if and when we got in that leadership seat, you know, that kind of base of the org chart, um, that we, we, we would want to do it the right way. We've always been trying to learn, okay, well, what does that mean? What do I want to learn from this person to do or not to do? Um, and it's something that we're able to live out through the particular business that we're in, not just through to, to the people that we serve directly in our four, your, the four walls of our office, but also the companies that we're serving, um, compliance and ethics leaders, also kind of intrinsically care about the people and, and the impact that they're making. Right. And we're, we're able to help them make the world a better workplace um, through just the, the industry that we're in. All of a sudden you're an entrepreneur, you, you're the president of running an organization which is very different from being an attorney sitting at a desk for 13 hours, right? So mm -hmm. what were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome early on? Well, understanding the business itself and the employees and what they did, um, all that tactical stuff, um, you know, I was just absorbing that as quick as possible and understanding the dynamics and what the market was. And um, I love learning and love learning that stuff. So I was trying to get that done as quickly as possible. It's, it's an evolving, ongoing thing, of course, but um, that was an initial challenge in figuring out really what I had, you know, like what, what is this business? Who, is, who are the players? Who are the customers? And, and set about trying to become an expert as soon as possible. Um, but I think, you know, just the way my personality, my leadership style, um, I think developed prior to that um, through 24 Hours of Booty and 24 Foundation, um, working with um, our constituents, which are the riders and the, and the beneficiaries of the, of the nonprofit. Um, and I feel like my leadership style and just how I treat people is kind of based on, on that. Um, and so that part, I wasn't, I mean, I'm comfortable talking to people in front of groups, um, you know, and, and being able to step out on my own and take action. And that really just came from being comfortable by doing it for a long time, uh, 24 Foundation. So let's talk a little bit more about the leadership style um, and it may be a little, little bit of a leading question, <laughs> but a lot of entrepreneurs hit glass ceilings when um, all roads lead to them and they're the center of the, the grand stage and you know, there's only so, so much they can do. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. a control thing um, compare and contrast that with what your leadership style is, because as you said, you went into a company that you didn't know really anything about. I mean, you're a mechanical engineer, you can figure stuff out very quickly. 
but talk about how you've gone into that. I mean, even 24 hours uh, of booty, 24 hour foundation, Belladrome, mm-hmm. et cetera, you couldn't be the chief cook and bottle washer plus right. job and everything else. How mm-hmm. did you um, lead and um, delegate? So um, my style is servant leadership. And, um, and so that was set up really at 24 Foundation. I didn't set it up to run it. I, I didn't want to run it myself. Um, we, I had to initially. So Susan and I had a, literally on the kitchen table for years. Um, but as soon as I could, I hired a part-time person, Patty Weiss, first executive director, and then had her grow it. Um, so I was doing stuff, working on it, but I was not the guy. Of course, people want to talk to me, founder. I, I totally get that. And I love being the spokesperson and doing founder stuff. But I wanted it to be able to run itself. And so, and it has. Like the staff, like I literally can show up an hour before the start and it, everything is dialed in, right? And, but, and that's not the way it used to be, right? So but my goal was to get it that way. And same thing with state building services. You know, I was chief, you know, bottle washer, you know, for a long time, cleaning toilets and quoting jobs and doing everything, partly so I could learn it. But, it, you know, um, built to sell that book, I mean, that you don't have a business unless it's run, it runs itself. Um, and, it, and, you know, if it's relying on you to do something, um, then you're in the business, right? And you're not working on the business. So I think those things are all true. And so um, over this is, this February will be five years. And I think that the team that we have now is running the business. You know, I go into the office and I have things to do and I'm thinking about vision and systems and, and bigger things, but the day-to-day business is being handled and run by my colleagues and my teammates, which is awesome. You know, that, um, and so that makes me feel good because it let people run it, like gives them the responsibility, give them the, the, you know, the role to succeed and help them do it. It, um, you know, Mac Lackey was saying that when you guys talked to him, you know, like help people get there, right? And so I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Um, I, that really resonated with me when, when Mac said that. I'm thinking that's, that's the role I think as the owner and, uh, and is, to, is to help other people succeed and do their, do their role well. And, and then shortly after being in, in Charlotte, you uh, started working at Bank of America and you had a, a pivotal moment in your your yeah. business career then. Um, can you tell us that story? Yeah, so um, I think the best leader I've ever worked under is um, one of the top female execu- executives still at the bank. And this was under Hugh McCall's era of yep. uh, leadership as CEO. And um, I wrote about this actually on LinkedIn and we had, uh, that was uh, a, a post that went viral and had about 8 million people watch, or read this 1300 character post. Right. <laughs> um, but I'll never forget that day and that moment and it was a one hour conversation with my boss and basically it started with, uh, she shut the door in her office and she said, Gary, welcome to Nations Bank. You know, we're so glad to have you. And um, she had a reputation for being tough, but really fair, really bright, Mm -hmm. and a leader uh, and a proponent of her people. And so she said, hey, here's what we stand for. Do the right thing, teamwork and trust, and have a passion for winning in that order. And she gave me an explanation of what that really meant. 
And she said, my job, Gary, is to make sure that Hugh McCall knows who you are. And she made good on that. And she said, when you build your team, um, basically all communications were going to be running through me and my team into the Midwest. We had just acquired Boatman's Bank shares, which was an 11-state region. Um, and she said, when you build your team, she said, my job, your job is to make sure I know who your stars are. Just like her job is just to know, exactly. is for Hugh to know so who So she's are. modeling the behavior. Yeah. And she is expecting me, and she set the guidelines, and here's the measures of success. And she said, make sure that you hire your, hire your replacement. Never be afraid to be the dumbest person in the room. That was never a problem. <laughs> but she set the example. I mean, she was a Duke MBA. I mean, she's really bright, but was never pretentious, never above. And she would always ask these really great questions. And, and so she said... You know, that's, that's what we expect. And then she gave me also some nuances about Nations Bank and some things about Mr. McCall. And she said, you know, he will walk the halls. He loves to be among the troops. And so it, don't be surprised if you see him and if he asks you a question. And if you don't know the answer, don't fake it, you know. Yep. And always raise your hand like there will always be problems. Raise your hand early if you made a mistake. We're, our job is to help kind of keep you out of the ditches, but just own it fast. And I like, think about that. That is so powerful. And so I've really tried to um, maintain that. And, and even the power of core values, I really learned that at, at Nations Bank. And some people may not have had the same experience that I did, but man, I loved it. I called us the polite Marines. I mean, we hired and fired based on those core values. We were expected to do that. And we, we wanted to run through brick walls. They, they hired people that fit, the, uh, you know, that, fit that model mm-hmm. and that uh, embodied those things. So for me, it was an un- unbelievable experience. Yeah. And we, we worked hard. We ran hard. Um, we, I learned about the difference between consensus and uh, getting commitment. You know, when we would have a meeting, uh, and as we were growing, I mean, you think about it, we went from 80,000 employees to 160,000 in two years. That's right. tremendous growth, yeah, and that's no. a lot of stress on management as you're, you're going through that. And my boss would often say, Gary, um, go home. Be with your family. Because the work was just overwhelming. I mean, I just couldn't see digging out. And she said, don't lose your family. You know, this place will never recognize the fact that you're gone. You know, it will never even say thank you. But don't lose your family in the process. I mean, things like that, which were amazing. Um, But we wanted to win for each other. And uh, we actually enjoyed one another. And, and, And it crossed political ideologies we didn't we weren't concerned about those things we were we were concerned about having each other's back and and making a difference which it was a it was a great experience for me how do you think such a large company even at 80,000 right being a major company was able to maintain that type of culture where people could feel okay of going home and and spending time with family and prioritizing what's most important to them it really comes down to the leaders. I mean, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. Right. 
And my boss, the, the amazing thing is, is she didn't necessarily embody, she worked crazy hours. And I felt like I needed to do that um, because the, there was just so much work. Right. Um, but the fact that she was kept prodding me and pushing me and basically shoving me out the door <laughs> um, was a blessing, you know. And so even though I worked a lot of hours, I would still be home for my kids' soccer games. And then I'd put them to bed and with my wife, but then I would work late again right. just to try to keep, keep up. Um, but I think it, it still comes down to management always sets the tone and it starts at the very top of the organization. If that's a priority for the CEO, it will become priorities further down or they will be ushered out. Yep. If you truly hire and fire based on those things, if they are just words on a, a plaque or if they're just words on a website somewhere, they don't mean anything and they actually create cynics, I think. Yep. Well, and that's why I ask, because it's easy to put together a nice mission statement or value statement, but to truly get so many people to believe and buy into that type of culture is unique. It, it's, a, it's a big 